0: In the book of First Samuel, the early chapters of that, that book reveal a, a very dark period in the history of the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel. There was widespread uh, uh, idolatry, and accompanying that was widespread immorality. And it was sad that it was not confined to just one segment of Hebrew society, but it had gone uh, permeated all the way up into the priesthood. The sons of Eli, the priest, Hophni and Phineas, were guilty of breaking the sacrificial laws by demanding more of the sacrifices than rightfully belonged to the priest. And worse than that, These two young men were observed to be sleeping with the women who worked at the door of the tabernacle. and It was only a matter of time before God's patience and forbearance would wear thin and His chastening hand would come upon His people. On this particular occasion, He chose the Philistines to be His instrument of judgment. He put in the heart of the Philistines to attack Israel and in that first battle, some 4,000 Israeli soldiers were killed. Immediately after the battle, the leaders of the army sent back to Shiloh, the capital city, and summoned Hophni and Phinehas to come and to bring the Ark of the Covenant. And with the entry of the Ark of the Covenant into the camp of Israel, there was a great shout. There was a great commotion. And the Philistines determined that they had to be uh, man up. And sure enough, in the second battle, they won again. This time, 40,000 soldiers of Israel were killed, including Hophni and Phinehas. And then worst of all, the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. When news got back to Shiloh, to Eli, about the loss of this second battle and the death of his sons, and worst of all, the capture of the Ark of the Covenant, he was so shocked that he fell off the stool on which he was sitting and he broke his neck and he died. Then when news got to uh, the wife of Phinehas that her husband had died, she being pregnant went into premature labor and in the birth of a son that was born, she too died. But before she died, with her dying breath, she named the son that was born Ichabod. Ichabod. In the Hebrew tongue, that word literally means no glory or the glory has departed. Now, it shouldn't surprise any blood-bought, born again believer in Jesus Christ to realize that at the same time in these early chapters, along with all of this death and destruction and judgment, God's redeeming love was at work. And in these same early chapters, we have a record of the birth and the early life of the godly Samuel, who became one of the foremost priests and prophet in all the history of Israel. And with the death of Eli, now Samuel becomes the unquestioned spiritual leader of the nation. And in order to, for us to catch up to where we're going to be in chapter 7, the Philistines, having captured the Ark of the Covenant, raises the anger of God, and he sends cancerous tumors upon the Philistines. And finally, they decided to give the Ark back to the children of Israel. At first, it was sent up to Beth Shemesh, And then later on, it went on to Kairathirim, and there the ark was. And now we're caught up to where we're going to look at the passage of Scripture this morning, beginning with 1 Samuel chapter seven and verse 10. Now, I used to say, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter seven. And one day, a man came to me after the service and asked me, do you realize how uncomfortable it is to turn over in your Bible? (laughs) And from that point on, I never used that phrase, and I simply say, open your Bible, please, to first chapter seven, beginning with verse 10. And once again, as we honor the reading of God's word, let's all stand. First Samuel chapter seven, verse 10. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Now, I always try to get past this verse, but I can't. I've just got to stop and say this. And by the way, this has nothing to do with the sermon this morning. I'm just gonna throw it in at no extra charge, and that usually pleases Baptists. (laughs) If you have a notation in your Bible, likely there's a notation out by that word thunder, and if you'll look in the marginal reference or the center reference in your Bible, likely there's an alternate translation, and the alternate translation is voice. Did you hear that? God thundered With a great thunder, there's power in the Word of God. Amen? Now to verse 11. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Let's pray. Father, you've instructed us to come into your presence with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. And so today, Lord, we lift up our voice to thank you for the blessed Word of God. Thank you that you've not only preserved it from men who have sought through the centuries to destroy it, and we have it here today. Not only have you preserved your Word for us, you have imparted your Spirit to us to be our counselor, our guide, our instructor. Lord, there's nothing that we can do simply with the human mind to gain anything of any eternal value out of this book, but only as your Spirit would teach us. And we pray tonight, we pray today, that you would come upon us, that you would descend upon us, that the Spirit of the living God would take the Word of God and penetrate our heart and our mind and draw from us a response that would please the heart of God for it's in Jesus name that we ask it Amen you may be seated now for the next few moments I'm going to ask you to transition with me From the Middle East back to America. From Old Testament time to the present day. You may have heard the voices. They're beginning to grow. More and more people are beginning to ask what's wrong? Something's missing. Something's absent. Things are not like they were in the days of our ancestors. And not only is something wrong in America, more to the point, something's wrong in our churches. And people are beginning to whisper the glow of the glory of God has grown dim. The glory has departed. And along with these questions come additional questions. What must we do? What can we do to return to those days? From the removal of God's glory to the return of of his greatness. What I'm going to suggest to you this morning is that that question could be asked in another way. It could be asked, how do we get from Ichabod to Ebenezer? Ichabod, the place of the departure of the glory of God. Ebenezer, the place of God's blessing. And this morning, that's what we're going to address from this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to call forth a witness, and it's not going to be a pastor of a megachurch. It's not going to be a television preacher with an international ministry. It's not going to be an evangelist that preaches in the soccer stadiums all over the world and has thousands of converts. I'm calling today as our witness, Samuel. And I do that for several reasons. First and foremost, he's been there and done that. He knows how to get the people of God from Ichabod to Ebenezer. And so let's listen to what Samuel has to say. And by the way, there are other reasons why I call upon Samuel. You remember that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, remember that church that was pretty uh, uh, prideful, pretty pleased with themselves, and Paul reminds them about why we have the Old Testament. You know, the, you know there are preachers that never preach from the Old Testament, think that it's outdated, outmoded. Uh, apparently, they've never read the Corinthian letter Paul writes to that church, and he said, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, he said, these things have been written for our examples that we should not lust after evil things. And one of the reasons we have the record that we have in the Old Testament is that we can see what they did, all the wrong decisions, the wrong choices they made so that we can avoid those wrong choices. But that's not all he said, because in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said these things were written for our examples, because you see, everything they did wasn't wrong. Every decision they made wasn't a bad one. And he said, what we need to do is avoid the bad decisions and adopt the good ones. That's why, again, we're looking at this Old Testament passage of Scripture. That's why we've called Samuel to witness today and tell us what we need to do to get from Ichabod to Ebenezer. Notice, first of all, he led them to repent. Now, before you look at the verses, listen to me about this. I want to say a word about that word, repent. It's all through the Bible. Maybe it's the most misunderstood, misapplied word in the word of God among Christians today. Literally what the word means. And by the way, it's an important word. It was, the word that, it was the first message that John the Baptist preached prior to the coming of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. And Jesus who followed John, that was the very first message he preached, repent for the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So now what does that word mean? Well, literally it means to have another mind. Or if uh, you prefer to do as I prefer to do, I, I enjoy going to find out the meaning of a word, not just in an American dictionary, an English dictionary, but rather, I consult Mr. Vines' Expository Dictionary of the Greek New Testament. What he does, he takes the Greek word and tells us what it means literally in the English. And Mr. Vines says this about that word repent. He said it means to perceive afterwards implying change. Now, boy, there's a mouthful. And the reason it's a mouthful, repentance is not a simple matter. It's a complex issue. It's a process. And one of the beautiful things about the Old Testament, if you believe as I do, or uh, if you're correct, (laughs) just a little attempt at humor. Relax, okay? If you believe as I do that the New Testament is enfolded in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is unfolded in the New Testament, What that means is that forever truth in its uh, in its fruit, in its bloom, you find in the New Testament. If you'll search, you'll find that truth in its rudimentary form in, in the Old Testament. And what that means is that the Old Testament is full of illustrative material of New Testament truth. When you want to talk about New Testament repentance, what you want, to, if you really want to understand it, look at this passage of Scripture because it gives us a beautiful. Picture in this passage of Scripture of the process of repentance. And notice the process begins with acknowledgement. Look at verse 2. From the day that the ark remained at Kirath Urim, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Do you hear that? They had enough sense that they said something's wrong. Something's missing. The glory of God is missing. And that's where it begins for us today. To be truthful with ourselves about ourselves. That for all of our good works and all of the things... And we can lay out many things that are happening that are good and right. But there's something missing in America And the reason it's missing in America is because it's missing in the church. The glory of God has departed. But this process of repentance not only begins with acknowledgement, it includes agreement. Look at verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, "If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve Him alone. He will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines." So the sons of Israel removed the baals and the Ashtaroth. In verse six, the Bible says, "After they went to Mizpah, that they confessed their sins before the Lord." There's another interesting word: confess. So many people misunderstand what it means to confess. So many. Many people think of it like a, a, a murder mystery and the, and, and the detectives begin to grill and question the, the, the person that's a suspect and he's under a bright light and finally he admits, grudgingly admits, okay, I did it. Now, however good that fits a detective story, it's not what the New Testament term confess means. Literally, it means to say the same thing. It means to quit arguing with the Lord It means to agree with God. To quit denying the truth. To quit rationalizing the times. To quit blaming other people. Some people think that America, uh, rather that baseball is America's favorite pastime. Baseball is not America's favorite pastime. Blaming other people is America's favorite pastime. It's my spouse's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my pastor's fault. Anybody. Just get the spotlight off of me. You see, what confession is, that we quit trying to ignore it, we quit trying to rationalize it, we quit trying to blame other people, and we come to say, Lord, you're right. I agree with you. It's not my brother. It's not my sister. But it's me, oh Lord that's standing in the need of prayer. That's what confession is. It's agreement, and that's a part of the process of repentance. Acknowledgement, agreement, but that's not all. Abandonment. Look at verse four and how it concludes. Let me read it, the entire verse for context. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtaroth and listened, and they served the Lord alone. You see, folks, it's not enough just to agree with the truth. You have to activate the truth. You have to obey the truth for repentance. Years ago, down in South America, there was a tribe of Indians that were dying at an alarming rate and word got back to the capital of that particular state and to the governor, and he sent a team down of researchers and medical people to treat the people, try to determine what was happening down there and why were they dying at, at such high rates and they after they'd been there a while they came to the conclusion that the problem was in their in their homes they were they were adobe structures. any of you've been to Uh, New Mexico or Colorado, the western states, you've seen these adobe structures, different than what we have typically here in Texas and many other states. Only in this case, then these Indians, they they used just plain mud, water and and dirt, make mud. And what happened was that insects had burrowed up into that mud, into that adobe, and at night they would come out and they would uh, bite. The people and they were infected with with the horrible diseases that uh, resulted in their death. And so, after the researchers had determined the problem, they 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 gave them the solution. What you need to do is, we, we need to tear these structures down. We're going to move you to a to another area, totally destroy the structures, and we'll build a, a different kind of structures for you to live in. These are your choices. You can can do this and go to the other place and live or you can stay here and die. Amazingly, some chose to stay and die. And the truth is, folks, we will never get to Ebenezer if we're not willing to leave Ichabod Never. But notice Samuel did something else. Not only did he lead the people to repent, he led them to return. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says that Samuel told the people, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now that verse is full of symbolism. It's rich in symbolism. Notice what they did that day. They had water, but they poured it out. They had food, but they refused it. They fasted. Listen, food and water are essential. They're, they're essential for life. They're essential for doing anything, going anywhere, accomplishing anything. And yet they denied it. And that you have a beautiful symbolic picture of the denial of self, the self-life and self-reliance and self-rule. And they turned away. They turned away from self-rule the spirit rule. Look at verse seven. In verse seven, the Bible says that when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And listen to this. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. Do you realize the kind of courage it took for Samuel to do that? He said, stop what you're doing. Stop what the, the, the way that you've been doing things. Stop on your, uh, looking to yourself and your self-reliance and self-rule and turn to the Lord. And he put, he put himself on the spot. He just cried to the Lord. And guess what? God answered him. And one of my primary responsibilities here today is to say to the people of God in this place, God still answers prayer. Tragically, we've come to the place in many places where the statement is, What, what can we do? Well, it's, it's pretty well hopeless now. About the only thing we have left is prayer. <laughs> Bless God. God answers prayer. And our only hope today is the same hope they had in that day is to put aside our self-confidence and self-reliance, our self own our own ideas, our own opinions, our own preferences, and throw ourselves on the Lord and cry out to heaven. I remember as a teenager... And by the way, have I told you, as I look out on this group today, some of you are so old. (laughs) You're as old as I am. And if you're as old as I am and you were raised in the state of Texas, you can remember the 50s you know, Fonzie, Richie, all the guys. You remember all those people? And if you remember the 50s in Texas, you may remember that there were 7 years in a row of drought. 7 years. Now I don't know where you grew up. I grew up in Hillsboro, Texas, about 60-70 miles south of here. And back in the 50s, it was cotton everywhere. It was a farming community. And the whole economy was dependent on agriculture. And agriculture basically was dependent on one crop. And let me tell you something. If you grew up in a community that was dependent on the agriculture and there were seven years in a row of drought, that will get your attention. And I remember, even as a teenager, the impression it made on me in the 50s when I would attend church there in our home church. And I would see those farmers, and the invitation would come, and they'd start streaming down that aisle. You see, folks, I'm so old, I remember when people responded to an invitation. You know, we're, we're too sophisticated for that now, right? We're too cool. But I remember when people responded to an invitation and there was no carpet on the floor, hardwood floors, hardwood steps. I remember after those services, going down and seeing those steps stained with the tears of those men as they cried out to heaven. They believed that God answered prayer. We're never going to get from where we are to where we need to be and where we want to be until we cast ourselves on the Lord and put our confidence in Him instead of ourselves. But Samuel did something else. He not only led the people to repent and to return, He led them to reclaim. Look at verse 10. Now Samuel was offering up the burnt offering and the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Verse 14. The city, now listen to this the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. Now folks, I want you to know something. I, I know you know this, but it needs to be reinforced. When we rely on ourselves on our personality, on our education, on our wealth, on our organization, whatever it is, when we rely on ourselves, when we depend on self-reliance and self-rule, invariably, not sometimes, not most of the time, but every single time it results in loss. And Samuel said... It's time to reclaim. And so he led them to reclaim their victory. Verse 11. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as below Bethkar. Verse 13. So the Philistines were subdued and did day. Now listen to this. So that they did not come anymore within the border of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the day of Samuel. Folks, let me tell you something. That's real victory. And that's the victory we have in Christ. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and makes manifest through us the fragrance of the knowledge of God in every place. He's even made us a sweet aroma of Christ that descends up into heaven to God himself, both among those who are saved and among those who are perishing. Friend, when God is in the victory, there's something about it that's different. And I believe there are three things in different. And if you're a note taker, I want you to take this down. When God is in the midst of the victory, it's always obvious, it's always overwhelming, and it's always ongoing. And if the victory doesn't have those three qualities about it, God wasn't in it. Obvious, overwhelming, overwhelming, And ongoing. And that's exactly the kind of victory that God has led us to in Christ. So so, so Samuel led them to reclaim their victory, but not just their victory. He led them to reclaim their identity. Look at verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shin, and named it Ebenezer. Remember, Ebenezer literally means the stone of God's blessing or the place of God's blessing. And don't you understand that's your heritage? Hello? Anybody here saved? Let me see your hand if you've been saved. Then there's a place back in your life. I know it's different for each one of us. The time and the place, wherever it was. Now the ancient people, when God was obviously in something, they'd set up a stone or a mound of stones that would commemorate that thing. Every one of us, has an Ebenezer where we got saved. But hopefully we have more than one Ebenezer. Hopefully we have other places where God has intervened and worked supernaturally, omnipotently in our behalf. That's our heritage. Augustine, 4th century Christian leader, hit the nail on the head. He, he was a little controversial, but he was certainly hit the nail on the head in this statement. He said, God wants to give us something, but he cannot. Now, if he'd have stopped there, we'd have branded him a heretic and run him out of town, but he didn't stop there. He said, God wants to give us something, but he cannot. Our hands are full, and there's no place for him to put it. if we're going to regain what we've lost in the church of Jesus Christ we're going to have to let go of what we have and what do we have discouragement defeat I could name all the things that are happening you already know them no use wasting time I believe my role here this morning, what? The reason the Lord opened this door. Mary God has sent me, is to challenge you with one final question before I finish. is for you to answer, is for you to respond to. Is Ichabod written on the door? Of your heart. Do you look back on a time in your history when you were more in love with Jesus, more in tune with Him, more passionate for Him to others? Has the glow of the glory of God dimmed in your heart? And I simply say to you, Samuel would encourage you to repent, to return, and to reclaim.